for those of us who are new to the church or maybe don't know, that is my wife and my oldest son, accompanied by my daughter who was, of course, on harmony. Very proud, very proud. I'd like to turn to the scriptures today, read the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to invite you to hear the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so this has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we journey towards Christmas, we're sharing in a neat little sermon series called Christmas with Scrooge. We're going to be, we've been spending time in that beloved Christmas tale of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, following along the story of Ebenezer Scrooge on a very weird Christmas Eve night, so that we can see how Christmas brings redemption into his life 
And it can, that story can illuminate the stories of Scripture in our lives so that we may find Jesus this Christmas season. And so this week we're going to rejoin Scrooge on what has to be probably one of the craziest nights of his life. And unless you were a teenager in the 60s and 70s, I doubt you've had a crazy night like this one either. He's been seeing ghosts. What in the world? He's visited first by the spirit of his uh, recently passed friend and co-worker, Jacob Marley. Now that's a sight. And Jacob Marley basically says, Scrooge, the path you're living on is going to lead to eternal torment. And you'll be visited by three ghosts tonight. Yeah, that's some good news, right? And with the hopes that things could change. And so he's visited by the ghost of Christmas past, and they conveniently see the past. You see, that's very creative there. But today we join him along the way as he's visited by the ghost of Christmas present. And Scrooge is whisked away from his bedroom into other places in the present moment so that he can see how other people are experiencing Christmas for good and ill, and probably everybody's favorite part, what people think about him but aren't telling him. Don't you just want to know what everybody's thinking about you? No, no we don't. Here's a weird, I mean this is weird. Why would Scrooge need to be whisked away to see the present? The past makes sense, I get that. Go back and see how things were before you got all Scroogey and maybe you can make some changes. That that makes sense. Heading off to the future, like spoiler alert, he's going to do next. If I ruin the story for you, it's over 100 years old. Your fault, not mine. That makes sense because maybe if you see what the future's going to hold, you can make some changes. But the present, he's already in the present. Why do I need to see the present? I live in the present. Well, like many people, I would dare say most of us, Scrooge sees the world from his own limited perspective. But he doesn't see the world as it really is. Like many people, Scrooge is satisfied with his life, and it doesn't really matter so much how other people are experiencing theirs because he's experiencing his just fine, thank you very much. And sometimes the more you know, it requires you to change. But the world is fine with Scrooge problem is he can't see past his nose. Scrooge might think things are fine for him, but perception does not always equal reality. Things in reality are not fine in the rest of the world. And so the ghost of Christmas present takes him on a journey outside of his own little world. And there he sees all kinds of things that he's ignored and intentionally pushed aside. He sees poverty. He sees sick and struggling people. He sees, this is tough, he sees the way that his actions have had a hand in the suffering of other people. That's hard. But he also sees something that is just as heartbreaking in a different way. He sees other people with joy that he doesn't have. And it changed, this journey starts to change him. It's a difficult journey for him to see what's outside his own little bubble. And this season for us, this Advent season, it's also a time for us to remember that the world is bigger than our own little corner of things. The world is bigger than our little corner of things. And we have to remember that because we're naturally quite selfish creatures My uh, baby girl, Nora Mae, who was up here singing soprano a few minutes ago, 
She's going to turn four tomorrow. And I remember when she was a little baby, uh, all of Amanda's cousins all had babies at the same time. Really don't know how they planned all that. There's things you just don't need to know in your life. But there are other little babies, and I remember one time they were together, and Nora May and one of these other little babies took turns yanking the pacifier out of the other's mouth and putting it in their mouth. It's like, no, give it back, it's mine. And they're just like not even a year old, yanking it out of their mouth and putting it back until they both just broke down in fits of fury. It was mine, 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 mine. You see, we're born kind of selfish, aren't we? It's just the way it is. Good thing she's better now. People tend to look at how things will affect them and their own interests. Will this make me happy? Will I be secure? Will I have to change anything? And often other people can be an afterthought, if we're honest, if they're a thought at all. And it's not really natural for people to consider how we fit into the greater scheme of the human family, how our actions actually affect others. Either we don't pay attention to it or we do know and we choose to ignore it. And I don't know which exactly is worse. But just because our perception is one way doesn't mean that it's real. Advent is a time to see. To see the state of things in us and around us. To see the world as it actually is. And to let that impact us. But it's also a time to see the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. Advent is a time to see the world as it is beyond our own little corner of things. But it's also a time to see what it will be in Christ. Before the ghost of Christmas Christmas present is done with Scrooge, there's one little reveal he's going to make. It turns out all along in in his big green uh, ornate cloak, the ghost of Christmas present has been hiding something. He's been hiding two things, actually. Thomas, you have a picture for us? from one of the stage renditions of A Christmas Carol. Hiding in his cloak are two little children. Sad, hungry little children. They're actually kind of scary-looking children, and the book describes them as such, like maybe the kind you wouldn't want to run across in the dark. But they're hungry and they're hurting. And the ghost of Christmas present says, these children, this one has a name and this one has a name. This one is named Ignorance after his father. I don't know if he's named after his father, but this child is named Ignorance. And this child is named Want. And I want to find out who those parents were and go have a real talk about how the names you name your children can impact them for the rest of their life, but whatever. Here is Ignorance and Want. And really the spirit, uh, the ghost of Christmas present is teaching a lesson teaching a lesson. These children represent two things that are the children of all humanity, ignorance and want. See, we're meant, Scrooge was meant to see himself in those children, that all his ignorance and want just leaves him as an evil, broken, hungry, starving soul, but we're also meant to see that as well. Are we in there? It's meant to be a reflection And for the first time, really, Ebenezer Scrooge is is filled with compassion over these children. And he says, can anything be done for these kids? And the ghost of Christmas present uh, is about to lay a good burn on him. He's about to mic drop moment here. And he's going to reflect back to Scrooge words that Scrooge himself said just hours ago. Is there anything we can do for these children? And the ghost says, well, are there no workhouses for them? Can't they just go to the prison? Scrooge's own words used against him. 
And Scrooge realizes that he has been infected with ignorance and want. And that his soul is starving just like these children are starving. And he wants to change. Ignorance and want are the children of all humanity, the ghost says. So in this little metaphor, what we learn uh, in, in it is that we can become so me-focused, me-focused, that we forget how our quest for what we want can leave us ignorant of how we affect the world. We can be so caught up in our quest for what we want that we can be ignorant for how we ourselves affect the world. Ignorance and want are natural and prevalent afflictions. In fact, we read about one going all the way back to biblical times where King Herod himself is a prime example of ignorance and want. King Herod, you remember, we just read about him. If you've forgotten, maybe you see a doctor, but um, we just read about him. By the time we meet King Herod in Matthew chapter 2, he is already on top of the world. He is a man of ambition. He's a man who wants to climb to the top, and so he does. He climbs from wherever he is and all of his siblings. He's got a big family all the way to the throne of Judea, southern Israel, where Jerusalem is. So he is rightfully the king of the Jews. He could walk around and say, hi, everybody, I'm Herod. I'm the king of the Jews, and he'd be able to mean it. And not only that, but he's, his ambitions were being fulfilled. He was rich. He was in charge. But guess what? That wasn't enough for old King Herod, king of the Jews. His want just kept growing. And you can see this even to this day in the ruins of Israel. He wanted big buildings. He wanted lavish statues. He wanted statues of himself. I guess it's like the first selfie, except it took a lot longer. So he went out and he got all of these things, and he paid for them by just raising taxes, because who does that hurt, right? It doesn't hurt me. Just tax the poor and tax the poor and tax the poor and lots and lots of taxes. But that's okay, right? I mean, he got what he wanted, and his stuff looked great. I imagine he'd sit there in his opulent room with his little crown on and Maybe he's got himself some gold chains sitting around his window and looking out there and saying, I've got it going on. Look at my building out there. It's shining too bright to see the hungry people beneath it. He was a little ignorant of how his actions affected other people or maybe, maybe he just didn't care because it's easy not to care about people that aren't you, isn't it? He got what he wanted, and he's ignorant of the suffering around the world, but it didn't matter in his mind. Everything is right. Everything is right with the world. That's just how things worked. That's how it works when I'm in charge. And then there's a knock on his door one strange day, and it turns out that there are some wise men from the east. There may be three, there may be more. Technically, the Bible doesn't say. There's your trivia for you. And they knock on the door and they say, hey, we were just passing through. See, we're looking for something. Uh, We need some directions. So we figured we'd stop by Jerusalem. Maybe the Jerusalem Chamber of Commerce has a little map of Bethlehem. There's a star. We've got to figure out where to go. Because you see, we're coming to find the king of the Jews so we can worship him. And Herod's like, hey, wait a minute. That be me. I'm the king of the Jews. Is there another king of the Jews? Well, this isn't going to work because you see, if that little baby king of the Jews were to grow up 10 or 15 years and everybody thought he was the real king of the Jews, then they're going to take me out of power. 
And so we got to take care of this business. So he hatches a little plan. It's genius, except it's not. And he says, come here, wise men. So maybe when you come back from worshiping this baby king of the Jews, just come tell me where he is because I want to go worship him too. I mean, kill him. I mean, worship him. Yeah, we all see through the plot. He's going to take out the competition. And so the wise men go and they do their thing and they wise up and they don't go back to Herod. That's a pretty wise thing to do. Maybe that's why they're called wise men. They go back home by another road. And Herod... um, Herod gets furious because he never finds out where this child is. And his want is so big and his ignorance of how he affects others is so massive that he decrees, listen to this, that all the children aged two-year-old and under in Bethlehem should be killed. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in for a minute. Because I want something and I have the power that knock on your door in the middle of the night from government soldiers to take your children and take their life is because of my want and my ignorance. Could you imagine how many children this is? Let this sink into you. In the name of his own gain, he commanded large-scale slaughter of innocent children. The danger of ignorance and want. And for Herod, things were good again. No more competition. We kept it quiet. The world was all right. I got what I wanted. And I don't really hear the people screaming down in town because I'm too far away because things are all right again. But things are not all right. Things are not all right. In that situation, are things all right? Things are not all right. And they hadn't been right for a long time. And you see, that's part of what the birth of Jesus brings about is this, when you shine the light of the world, which is what we call Jesus on something, sure, you're going to find your way, but you're also going to see a bunch of junk that you didn't want to see. Things are not all right. In Herod's case and in ours, when children are in danger because of the ambition of powerful people, things are not all right. And when innocent people Even if you don't pay attention and we don't see them, when innocent people suffer and die for the gain of others, things are not all right. And when people with means leverage the poor or forgettable or discard people for their own agendas, things are not all right. And when hatred runs unchecked and people starve in our backyards and the violence of all kinds leads and dominates the headlines, I think it's fair to say, my friends, that things are not okay. Christmas points it all out. Jesus comes and all of a sudden, everything's threatened for Herod. Christmas points this out, that things are not okay. I want you to think about this. Of all of the ways that God could have come to the world, the king of it all, the savior of the universe, why did God choose to be born into abject poverty in a city with no room for him, in a world filled with people who didn't care if he was there and would rather him not be. God could have been born, Jesus could have been born in Herod's palace. This is the way he comes, to shine a light on the broken things in the world and to say that no matter how broken that is, that is where I, your Savior, will go. God is pointing our attention to the fact, my friends, that things are wrong in the world. Christmas points us to all of the glaring proof of ignorance and want out there and in here. Things are not okay. But 
The birth of Jesus doesn't just point out the problem, thank the Lord. It points out the solution. And that is Christ himself. That in the middle of all of the dysfunction, that God would be born in Jesus Christ in the dysfunction of our lives and our world is a beautiful thing. Christ comes in the middle of the dysfunction and not just to show up and say, hey, I see you, but to come and to say uh, with promise that things will be different. Because Christ has come into this world for a purpose, not just to be cute in our nativity scenes, but to redeem things, to take all that has been wasted and broken and cost us to us aside and to redeem it, to make it new, to set right what has been tossed off kilter, to heal what has been broken, to bring wellness to all that has been sick, to remove the bonds of oppression that have been placed on us and we have put on other people, and to make all things new. So the core of today's message is simply this, and it is quite an Advent message. Ready? Things are not fine in the world, but they will be. Things are not fine in the world, but they will be. Thank God they will be. Thank God they will be. And this season to prepare for Christmas is, an, is a time for us to look beyond ourselves and to see the world as it really is, to see us as we really are, but it's also a time to see the world as it will be in Christ. Let's not become those gloomy, uh, world is going to hell in a handbasket kind of Christians that just walk around with a newspaper and say, everything's bad, everything's bad. Don't you see everything's bad? Aren't you happier now? I just pointed out to you two new ways that the world is bad, and you're bad, and I'm bad, and we're bad. Don't forget the hope. Because it might be true that we need to see something, but we need to know that there is hope, and it will not always be that way. And do not be the kind of Christians that just say, oh, everything's perfect. It's all great. It's all wonderful and perfect. You need to be the person who sees where the pain is so that you can follow Jesus into it and show that person in that situation, this is not all there is. It is not okay today, but we're going to work with Christ to make it better, and it will be better tomorrow. Because the promise of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, is that it is not okay in this world, and this world needs salvation, and so do you and me, but God is here to make it happen, and that's called hope. So the invitation is to look at the world outside of our own little corner of things and to see it as it is, but to also see it how it can be, because we have hope. And we can celebrate at times like this and light a pink candle even when things aren't right. And we can be set free from ignorance and want because we know that no matter how bad it is, Jesus has come to bring the promise of new life. So a couple of commitments I'd ask of you before we go today. Can we commit to searching our own souls to see where we are consumed a little by ignorance and want? Where, who am I not seeing Who am I purposefully not seeing? What brokenness am I not seeing? Then, oh, this is tough. I've been doing this all week preparing to share this with you. Where is the brokenness that that I'm a part of? Because it's there because of decisions that I've made. Then let's see. Where is the brokenness out there? And ask yourself, maybe we can commit to do this too. Will I go there? Will I go to be with them? Will I go to care for them? Will I go to love them? Even if it means that I don't satisfy my own want, 
Will I make a sacrifice to be like Christ, to go into a broken place, to bring healing and comfort and hope? So the message of today is simple. The world is not okay. I hope that's not news to you. If it is, maybe you needed to hear it. The world is not okay, but it will be. The world is not okay, but you've got to say it with me. It will be. Merry Christmas. That is the good news. Will you pray with me? Well, God, our Father, for the truth of the gospel, I think we thank you because it is hard to hear, but we do thank you because it makes things better. Thank you, O light of the world, O Christ child, for coming in and revealing where the world needs you and where we need you. Minister to us right now in these moments that we can sense in our own lives where we need to let go and to open our eyes and to enter into a situation with other people. Minister to us now and help us to be set free from ignorance and want and help us to be filled with hope in whatever way we need that today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It may be today that you... um,